Hey everyone, this is Chris Vaught, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Pursuit Podcast, where our passion is to inspire and equip you with biblical truths as you pursue after the heart of God. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Pursuit. Uh, I will apologize to you. It's been several weeks since our last episode, but God has been blessing this entire summer, and we've uh, been involved with a lot of traveling, a lot of speaking engagements. And then here at Connection Point Church, we have had an initiative called Summer Serve, and we have been busy getting back outside of the church, out in the community, showing the love of Christ, uh, reaching not only our local community, but we've been involved with projects that have even reached into international fields. And so we give God praise for that. We do make a commitment to you that we will get back onto a regular rhythm with these podcasts. So just be patient with us for that. But thinking about the summer and all of the serving projects that we've been involved in, today on the episode, on the podcast, we're going to bring to you a message that I preached back on Palm Sunday of this year, 2021. And we're going to finish up the realignment series with this message the sermon is entitled, Realign to Serve. So grab your Bibles, and let's go together to the Word of God and be inspired to take what we have received from Christ, put it into action, and bless those around us. Thank you again for being a part of the Pursuit Podcast. Grab your Bibles, and let's go together. This is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is so important for us. It's so vital to our Christian faith, and there's reasons for it. Not, most of the time we don't think much about Palm Sunday, but I hope today you're going to see how important this really is. In fact, to understand the importance of it, we have to actually go back 520 years before the birth of Jesus. This is just one of hundreds of prophecies that came true in the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, 520 years before Jesus was born, there was a preacher named Zechariah. So I'm going to, I want to read to you a verse out of Zechariah, if you would. Uh, it's there on your message. It's not on your message. Notes. Just write it down. Zechariah 9, 9. Here's what it says. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous. He's victorious. And he's humble, riding on a donkey, on a coat, on the foal of a donkey. You know, it's amazing just how disillusioned people often get with Jesus when Jesus doesn't do things the way they think Jesus should do them. When, when, you, when you don't understand what God is up to, you can quickly get disillusioned with God. And that disillusionment will lead you to doubt. And all of a sudden, you'll start doubting God. You'll start doubting everything you've ever heard about God or what a preacher told you about God or what you read in the Bible. And, and disillusionment will often lead you to doubt, which ultimately ends in disappointment. And you just finally get disappointed with God 
And you say, I'm done. I don't understand God. He doesn't make sense to me. And it's so easy. And I see this happen so often. People get a perception of what they think God will do, or they take a verse of scripture out of context. And they are taught that it meant this when it never meant that. And now all of a sudden, their whole world about God gets thrown upside down when God doesn't fulfill it the way they thought he should. And this is very important for us to understand, especially at this time of the year, because you see the Jewish people for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, had read hundreds of prophecies like Zechariah's. In fact, next week I'm going to give you the numbers. There's something like 400, I'm doing this off the top of my head, you got to wait till next week to get the exact number. Something like 453 prophecies just in the Old Testament that tell you about the Messiah, Jesus. And they come true in the life of Jesus Christ, one man. Now, here's what's so uh, uh, interesting about this passage is because these Jews have been studying these Old Testament passages, and they've read them, and they've read them, and they've gotten excited, and they've been waiting, long awaited their Messiah to come. Because here's what some of the things they've read. They read that when the Messiah comes, he'll usher in the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God comes, they'll turn their axes into plowshares. Now, when we're talking about axes there, he's talking about an, uh, uh, an instrument, uh, a weapon of war, not cutting down trees, cutting people. And it's a, it's a symbol of peace that when the, when the master comes, when the Messiah comes, he's going to bring in a time of peace. They would read passages like this, the lion shall lay down with the lamb. Who doesn't want that? They would read out of Isaiah and others as they would write about the child who will sit down by the viper's hole and stick his hand down in a viper's hole and the snake won't bite him. Who doesn't want that? Lisa and I was recently in Arizona and we were on horseback going through uh, 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 Apache Junction. And as we're out there, we, we, somebody asked the guide, said, do you ever see any rattlesnakes? And he just kind of chuckled. And he said, we've got a saying here in the desert, you're never more than 20 feet from a rattlesnake, whether you see it or not. I want to tell you, everybody tightened up on their saddle. No one got off. Who wouldn't love a world where there's no snakes biting? Come on, somebody. They, they knew the words of Zechariah, but here's the problem that they had. It's the same problem I'm afraid many of us have in the Christian world today. They had selective hearing, selective reading, selective perception with God. And so here's what they liked. Here's what they liked. The Messiah is coming. Behold, your king is coming, and he's victorious. But they didn't read the rest of the verse. I'll show you why here in just a few moments. Before I do, let's keep building this up. If you take your Bible and you go to John chapter 12, and uh, in a moment we're going to begin reading at verse 12, but let me just summarize to you the first 11 verses. This is six days before Passover. So it's the week before. That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday a week before Easter. A week before, Jesus is in Bethany, and they're holding a dinner party for Jesus. And the reason they're holding a dinner party for Jesus is because Jesus is there with his friend Lazarus. Lazarus, the same man that Jesus just recently arose from the dead. And they hold a big feast for Jesus. I mean, who wouldn't hold a feast for a man who could raise the dead? And so they're all around the table. The Bible says that Martha is serving 
and Mary is down at his feet pouring perfume that is worth 300 denarii. Denarii was a single day's wage for the average laborer. So almost a year's salary was, uh, was the price of this ointment that she is pouring out on the feet of Jesus wiping them with her hair, which was totally against tradition because the woman was to keep her head up, her hair up rather, but now she's got it down, wiping the feet of Jesus, which is a symbol of complete humility and brokenness before the master. She is down on her knees. She's wiping his feet. They are sitting at the table. The Bible says Lazarus is reclined with Jesus at the table. They're enjoying a meal and a crowd is gathering outside. Big crowd. Everybody's pumped up. Everybody's excited. Verse 9 tells us why. Then the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came, listen to me, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he raised from the dead. But the chief priest, the chief priest had decided to kill Lazarus. Did y'all know that? The chief priests want to kill Lazarus. Why? Because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. So here we've got Jesus in Bethany, back in the same city where he raised Lazarus from the dead. They're having a big feast. The crowd is gathering. There's all kinds of excitement in the air. And the priests are saying, we've got to get rid of Lazarus. Because the crowd was coming to believe. Listen, they've listened to prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. He'll do this. He'll do that. And for three years now, they have watched Jesus in his ministry. For three years, they have seen Jesus feed thousands with little boys' sack lunch. For three years, they have seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. They've heard sermon after sermon, sermon after sermon, and nobody can preach like Jesus. I mean, when Jesus preaches, it's like heaven's preaching. And for three years, they have seen him, heard him, watched him, but the icing on the cake was when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And when he raised up Lazarus out of that grave, everybody said, he has to be the Messiah. He's got to be the one. No one can do this. He's got to be the one. And for the people, they were excited because whoo, he's got to be the Messiah. For the chief priest and all of the opponents of Jesus, while this raised great alarm for them because they're going to lose their power and their influence and they're trying to find a way to kill Jesus and kill Lazarus. And I just want to tell you, the nail that, that they drove into the coffin to, that made them decide to finally crucify Jesus was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That was the last act that absolutely sealed the deal in the hearts of the Pharisees. They said, we got to get rid of him because the crowd now has come. And they think he might just be the Messiah. Now look at what happened in verse 12. Let's read it out loud together. The next day, the next day when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him and they kept shouting, Hosanna, let's all practice that word together on the count of three. Ready? Right there at home, you can do it too. One, two, three. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. 
Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. And just as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. Hey, uh, donkey's coat. Where, where did that quote come from? Yeah, Zechariah 9.9, right? His disciples didn't even understand these things at first. Do you see that? Even the disciples wasn't putting two and two together. They didn't understand it at first. However, after Jesus was glorified, they would remember that these things had been written about him and that he had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. And this is why the crowd met him, because they had heard he had done this sign. And this is why the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the whole world's gone after him. Can you imagine what it was like when Jesus rode in on that, that Sunday, or excuse me, that Sabbath rather, that Saturday, that Sabbath when he came in and, and, and everyone's screaming out and they're crying out as Jesus comes into uh, Jerusalem. The Bible says they are cutting down palm branches and they're crying out, Hosanna! Here's what the Pharisees saw. The Pharisees, the chief priests, all of his opponents, here's what they saw. They saw Jesus riding into the city, riding on a donkey, people carrying out uh, palm branches and crying out Hosanna. And they knew all of those things were prophesied in the old scriptures. And they said, this has got to stop. In fact, here's what they went on to say to Jesus. They said to him, they said, tell them to stop praising you. Stop singing out Hosanna. And Jesus said this, listen, this is what Jesus said. If these should keep their quiet, the rocks would immediately cry out. I'm telling you, when you get to know who Jesus is, you can't be silent about Jesus. Do I got a witness in this house? You can't be silent about Jesus. Don't let no rocks cry out in your place. Amen? Here's the, here's the problem with all this. The crowd had selective understanding about the Messiah. They've been waiting for the one who's going to turn their axes into plowshares. And what they were looking for is they were looking for a military king who would come in, a military king, who Messiah, who would come in and get them free from the occupation of the Romans, set them free, and they'd always be free. And then the kingdom of God would come on the earth. Oh, how they should have only read the last half of Zechariah's prophecy. Because you see, in the Middle East, whenever a king came in and he was going to drive out the other inhabitants, when he was going to take over, he would always ride into town on a stallion. But if a king was bent on peace, he would ride in on a donkey. And Jesus didn't just ride in on a donkey. He rode in on the coat of a donkey which was even more humble. And so here's the problem. The people who thought he to be the Messiah and were crying out Hosanna, which by the way means save now, save now, save now. Because they didn't understand the whole verse would be the same people in a few days who would cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And it's why the Pharisees were able to convince people to crucify Jesus. Because they had been taught Jesus would do it one way, 
And Jesus didn't do it the way man thought he should. That'll preach all by itself. Amen? Now, here's what I want you to write down. Because here's what you and I need to get out of this. Why is this so important for us to understand? It's because why did Jesus come? Jesus came to serve. I want you to write that down. Jesus Christ came to serve. He came down to serve. Listen to what he says in verse 23 of John chapter 12. Jesus says to the disciples, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But then he he says, he gives a metaphor. He gives a parable. He says, but truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I was thinking about that when I was reading the passage this week. And I thought, if I was one of the disciples, and I'd just seen the triumphal entry, and I'd seen all the crowd crying out, and, and then all of a sudden Jesus turned to me and said, now the hour is to be glorified. I'd be like, yes, Jesus, let's put a crown on your head right now. And then the next word out of his mouth was, unless a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce any fruit. I'd be like, What? What are you talking about? Because they were missing something. Jesus gave the metaphor to speak of the death, the burial, the resurrection. That the only way the kingdom of God can come is that Jesus had to come and die to rise again because like a seed has to die in the earth before the plant can grow out from the seed and produce a harvest. And Jesus said, I've come here to serve. And how did Jesus come to serve? Well, look at Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 43. Jesus said to his disciples, but it, when they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest leader in the pack, Jesus said, it's not so to be among you, like that among you. On contrary, whoever wants to become great among you have to become a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave to all. You, you don't rise up in the ranks by privilege. In God's economy, you rise up by service. For even, then he gives the illustration, look at it, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, read it now, but to serve. How did he come to serve? And to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's what's so amazing about this. Over and over again, Jesus would even tell his disciples that he was coming to die. He's coming to die. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to rise again. He's given his life for a ransom. And even all the way up to the cross, they didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it until after the resurrection. They didn't get it. Even though he told them plainly. How many know it's very dangerous for you to get your own conceptions about how God works without getting it out of the Scripture? Amen? Here's what you need to know. Jesus came to serve, and write this down. He came to serve the Father's will. Look at what he says in verse 27 and 28. Now my soul is troubled. He's talking about the cross. They didn't understand it. He just, he just got off the donkey. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour, but this is why I came for this hour. And then he says this, Father, glorify your name. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus coming in, knowing what would happen to him in just a few days. The crowds are cheering him, but Jesus isn't going, oh, thank you, thank you. He's not waving at the crowd. He's saying, my soul is troubled. 
Do you think it was on the mind of Jesus what he was about to face? Did he know what he was about to face? He sees the end from the beginning. He saw it all. He knew how bad it was going to hurt. He knew what the cross was going to be like. But listen, here's what I want you to capture. Jesus came to serve, and he came to serve the Father's will, and he was so devoted to the Father, even though he saw what was coming, he stayed faithful. Then I want you to write this down. Not only did Jesus come to serve the Father, but are you ready for this? I hope you're ready for this. Look at your neighbor and tell him, are you ready for this? Jesus came to serve you. Here's something I don't want any of you to forget. Jesus did not come to this earth, born of a virgin, live a sinless life so he could die a sinner's death, be buried and rise again on the third day, sit at the right hand of the Father, interceding on the behalf of people for himself. He didn't need it. He doesn't have to have it. He didn't need redemption. There was no cause for him to come to this earth. There's only one reason that God sent his son. There's only one reason Jesus came and got into the womb of a little teenage Jewish girl. There's only one reason why he never sinned. There's only one reason why he went to a cross and died and was buried and got up again. And that was for you. Jesus, the servant, came to serve the Father's will, but in serving the Father's will, he had to serve you. Catch this, catch this, catch this, because in serving you, you want to know how much God loves you? By serving you, he served the Father's will. Amen? How many thank God for Jesus this morning and what he did for you? Amen? But here's number two on your outline. I want you to write down. So Jesus who came to serve the Father by serving you calls those of us who want to follow him to live a life of service ourselves. This series is called Realign. This is the last sermon in the series. Uh, to, to be realigned in God's will, I've told you over and over and over again, that if you want to find purpose, if you want to find joy and peace with your life, if you, you got to be in the center of God's will. you got to be in alignment with God's will. And we've talked about a lot of ways that we can get ourselves out of alignment. How many know it's so easy to get knocked out of alignment? And we've dealt with some areas, right? We've dealt with some things over the last eight weeks of how to get back in alignment. We've talked about relationships, and we've talked about friendships, and we've talked about finances, all these things that we're consumed about. We've talked about our faith, and we've talked about sharing the gospel and how important that is. Today, I need to tell you that if you and I are going to be in alignment with God's will, when you become a follower of Jesus, God has now called you into a life of service. Here's how Jesus would say it in verse 25 and 26. The one who loves his life will lose it. This is so good. So I love reading stuff like this. It makes everybody just sit in there and think for a moment. What, what was that again? So I'll read it again. Those who the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am there, my servant also will be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Who wants to be honored today by the Father? 
What's the secret to being honored by the Father? Serving the Lord. How do we serve the Lord? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me, that's the key, will find it. Can I read you that last line again? Anyone who loses his life because of me finds it. What is Jesus calling us to? He's calling us that when we become followers of Jesus to crucify our old nature, our old worldview, our old perspective about life and what life is really all about, and take on an eternal perspective. Take on, start seeing the natural through the eyes of the supernatural. Start seeing the spiritual. Listen, here's the danger, and here's what I fear for many in the Christian world today, is we're so earthly-minded, we're no heavenly good anymore. And what we've got to understand is that Jesus came down here and served. He didn't have to come. He did that for us. And what we do as a believer now is we dedicate our lives for him to represent him. And we see the world differently. We have a new perspective on life. Amen? Look at two people right now and tell them, I just needed to tell you today, God loves you. And he's got a plan for you. But now all this comes at a cost. I want you to write this down. Here's, here's what it means to really lose your life in Christ. I mean, come on. Jesus gave some hard words sometimes, right? Lose my life in him to find it. What does that even mean? Here's what it means. Write this down. We have to die to self in order to serve the Father. Jesus would illustrate like this. Now, this is a deep illustration, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you get it. Because this is Easter week, and I pray you think about it all this week. Luke 9, 23, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Read it, underline it, circle it, something. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will save it. And so Jesus says, here's the deal. You've got to... Deny yourself. How do you do that? You pick up your cross and you come follow after me. This is so good. Because see, when Jesus said this, everyone in the crowd knew exactly what he was talking about because they were living under Roman occupation. And what the Romans would do, if anyone was condemned to die, he had to walk publicly in the street carrying his own cross, his own method of execution in front of everyone so that everyone could look and say, there goes a dying man. So what is Jesus calling us to do? Pick up our cross, come follow after him. Where? In private. No. <laughs> and for those of you who think Christianity is your own little private memorial thing, no, 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 no. Jesus has called you to come live it out in public. They should see you as spiritual on Monday in the break room as they see you here on Sunday in worship. Ooh. In school, you should be no different in school than you are at youth group. Are y'all with me today? Is this good stuff? Look at your neighbor and tell him, breathe, you're going to live? Maybe I ought to tell you, look at him and say, you need to die for Jesus. In Jesus, in Jesus. 
Pick up your cross. Come follow after the Lord. What does it mean? It means to give your life, yield it over, surrender it to Jesus. In fact, when you become a Christian, that is the last private, personal, independent decision you ever make on your own. Because from that day forward, every decision you make now needs to come under this lens. Lord, what do you want me to do in this moment? How do you want me to handle this situation? How do I respond, Lord Jesus? Do you see what I'm saying? This is what Jesus has called us to do. To come and to die for him, in him. To pick up our cross, to die to self. Someone asked a great preacher, A.W. Tozer, he was a pastor in the early to mid-1900s, and someone asked A.W. Tozer, said, what does it mean to pick up your cross and follow Jesus? And he said, let me tell you the story about an old man who was asked that very same question by a young boy one day. He said, that old man looked at that young boy, and he said, well, let's think about that. And he scratched his old scraggly head. He said, let's think about that. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? He said this, first thing, a man who's crucified is only face in one direction. Mm. He's got his eyes set in one direction. He can't look any way else. Secondly, a man who's on the cross, who's been crucified with Jesus, that man knows he's not going back where he came from. (laughs) It's so good. I wish I could preach like A.W. Tozer. He's got... He, he, he's got his eyes going in one direction. He knows he's not going back. And number three, a man who has picked up his cross to follow Jesus has no further plans on his own. <laughs> Isn't that good? A man who picks up his cross to follow Jesus is only looking in one direction. He knows he's never going back to the life he used to live. And he has no future plans on his own. From now on, it's, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I'll follow after you. You say, Pastor, does that mean I don't get to have my plans, my goals, my dreams? No, 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 it didn't mean that. It means, though, that you give them into the hands of Jesus because he may just change them. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I knew what I was going to do. Yes, I did. And me and Jesus had a wrestling match. It lasted seven years. Yes, we did. And then finally, I had to go in back to college and say, guess what? I'm going to Bible school now. I'm leaving, y'all. And God turned my whole world around. You just got to be willing to say, God, what do you want me to do? And make it as an act of surrender to the Lord. Amen? I got thinking about people who are dying to self. And one of the things we're going to pray about tonight is we're going to pray for Christians who are under persecution. Um. David Curry is the president and CEO of Open Doors USA. And here's a report I read yesterday, and it just broke my heart. Do you know that in the year 2021, and we're only three months in, the year 2021, that right now, on average, 13 Christians are losing their life every single day in 2021 because of their faith in Jesus Christ? You don't hear about that on the news. 13 Christians a day are dying in 2021. 12 churches a day are being attacked in 2021. 12 Christians are unjustly arrested every day or imprisoned in the world because of their faith in the year 2021. 
Another five Christians every day are being abducted because of their faith. When Jesus says, I'm calling you to die to self, to come live in me, he's talking about us surrendering our whole lives to him. And listen, if there's anyone we need to pray for and applaud are those who will go even to the ends of their physical life and not denounce their faith in Jesus Christ. They're not ashamed. They picked up their cross. Amen? Now write this down. We have to die to self so we can serve one another. And you remember a moment ago, uh, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, those of you who want to be great, those of you who want to be great, you must become servant of all. And you remember I told you that Jesus, when he came, he came down to serve you. But by serving you, he served the Father's will. Why? Because the Father's will was for him to come for you. And can I tell you, if you want to know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that you're pleasing the Heavenly Father, you can know when you serve others and you lead people to faith in Jesus, you're always doing the will of the Father. This week, some of you are going to have these cards sitting in your car, and you're going to feel a prompting of the Holy Spirit to give a card away to someone, invite them to Easter services. And, and the accuser of the brethren is going to jump in your mind going, they'll think you're a lunatic. Don't you invite them, church. They, they're going to get mad at you. They're going to think you're crazy. And you may even say, you may even get this question in your mind. I wonder if it's the Lord's will for me to give this card away to someone. Can I answer that for you in Jesus' name? When you serve someone else and you lead someone to faith in Jesus, you are always doing the Father's will. Because that's why Jesus came. And that's what Jesus has called us to do. In fact, there's a great verse for us to live out. It's Galatians 2.20. I want to read this verse to you. If you know it, I want you to say it out loud with me. Okay, you ready? I have been crucified with Christ. Wait a minute. Seriously? Yes. This is what it means to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Watch this, watch this. Paul wasn't saying he was physically crucified, but in his heart, he allowed his will, his emotions, his perspective, his worldview to be crucified and fall in alignment with Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ now lives in me. In the life I'm living in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not because I have to. Friends, I am crucified in Christ today because I choose to. Why? Because I'm doing this as an act of love for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. How about you? See, the prayer of one who has picked up his cross to follow Jesus is always this prayer. It's, it's what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10, and you can write it down. I want you to get this. This, is, this should be our prayer. This is, this is the prayer that we pray from a heart that's picked up the cross. You ready? Father, and this is in every situation, your kingdom come, and your will be done. Can we say that out loud together? Right there, say it with me. Your kingdom come, your 
will be done. Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 42, this is, this is hours before the cross. Judas has already went and betrayed the Lord. Next Friday night, when we have our online communion service, this would have happened after supper. Jesus was in the garden. He's broken. The weight of the cross is weighing heavy on his soul. So much so that he comes under such stress that the capillaries in his skin began to burst and blood comes oozing out of his sweat glands. And Jesus prayed this prayer, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. But don't stop there. Because here's where the power is at. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Is it always easy to serve Jesus, to pick up your cross and follow Christ? No. Can I be honest with you? There's going to be times, just like Jesus, God's going to put a challenge ahead of you that will weigh heavy on your soul. And in that moment, your prayer is, not my will, thine be done. There's going to be moments that you're going to be facing a temptation that every ounce of your flesh is screaming, give in, give in, give in. But the Spirit inside you will remind you you're crucified in Jesus. You're no longer a slave to that temptation. And in that moment, you've got to remember when everything in you is screaming, give in, give in, give in, you've got to say, Father, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but thine be done. There's going to be moments when you're going to be accused, misunderstood, and even the people that you love the most are going to have expectations of you, just like they did Jesus, that are out of character or out of the plan for what God has for you. And even in that moment, you've got to be able to stand in love with compassion and say, not my will, but his be done. I've picked up my cross and I'm following after Jesus. Amen? Because here's the big takeaway. And here's what I don't want you to ever forget. I pray you get this down in your heart. It's so true. I promise you it's true. Even in those moments when it's so hard to carry your cross, I pray you'll remember this. It is so true. Because it's in losing your life in Christ that you find the life you were always meant to live. If you try to find the life you were meant to live in anywhere else, in anyone else other than in Jesus, you're going to always be empty. You're going to always be wondering. You're going to always be unsettled. It's only when you pick up your cross. It's only when you find yourself in Jesus that you find the life God always had planned for you to begin with. That's why we invite people to come to Jesus. That's why we share the gospel. And that's why every week, no matter what I'm preaching on, I give you an opportunity to make the most important choice you could ever make. 
the choice to pick up your cross and choose to follow Jesus because I honestly believe that's when your soul will find the purpose for living, peace beyond understanding. And you know that you know that you know you've got a home in heaven. And your life has impact and meaning here and now and in the world to come. Amen? How many want to find that life in Jesus and in Jesus alone? Purpose and peace. So bow your hearts with me if you would. Thank you, Father, for letting us end this series on such an important topic. Father, uh, I pray our hearts be motivated today to live a life of service, serving you by serving those around us, not being ashamed of you, Jesus, not, not hiding our Christianity in a back corner somewhere, but living it out in public, unashamed of the change and the transformation that's happened on the inside. Father God, I pray for myself and my brothers and my sisters that, Lord, you could give us a perspective to see the world through your eyes, to see people through your eyes, to have compassion, to reach out with the gospel message and try to lead others to faith in Jesus, find their purpose in the gift of salvation in Christ alone. Father God, I pray you help us be your servants today. Because it's in losing our lives in you that we find the life we were meant to live all along. Thank you for the joy and the peace that comes from surrender. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, even now, you're drawing people to come to faith, to pick up their cross and come follow you. May they hear you. May they hear you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today for the Pursuit Podcast. For more content, to read our blog, watch past sermons, or find other great resources, check us out at chrisvaught.net, and then check us out on social media. Then tune in again next week, and we will open our Bibles and together pursue after the heart of God. Thank you again for joining us at the Pursuit.